Welcome, everybody, to the Fins and Feathers podcast, presented to you by Winter Productions and your host, Nathan Winterstock. What's going on, everybody? We're back for another episode of the Fins and Feathers podcast. And I have one of, one of the champions from the Connell River Catfish Club, Adam Scott. Nice. <laughs> had, to, had to set it up for the soundboard to be ready to go. Oh, don't worry, don't worry. If you would have lost, though, we would have had to intro you with a, with a boo. <laughs> I have too much free time on my hands. Okay, well that's interesting. Um, I just got some interesting information about duck hunting. Um, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? Oh, we're here to talk about your winning of the point race after three attempts. This would be the fourth. Um, fourth legitimately shot in the race. Yeah, in the fourth ball game. shot in the race. Yeah, I mean we kind of followed you all along. You guys, I mean you guys, kind of. Is this the first year you've took a hold and just kind of been at the top and not had to chase, try to chase somebody down and kind of make people chase you down? In other hand, in other words, yeah. And the way that the points uh, was organized this year, there was no additional bonus points for big fish which makes it a little bit more difficult to come from behind yeah i could i could see that because really i mean i would say from checking your results and i don't check them every single time but i'd say a lot of the times you guys first place doesn't have big fish no um, and that, that's gonna hurt if you can't but I also get, get the understandings. I mean, really, big fish to me is a pay slot. It's not a bonus in points. You didn't, you shouldn't get rewarded. Your reward is the is the payment. The reason that it was put into place, whenever it was, was so that people couldn't just run away and still make it competitive. Because years previous, people that were winning were winning <laughs> by like twenty and thirty points. Well, let's also look at the the changes in the in the guys fishing um it's pretty much been the same crew for the past five years for the most part and let's let's say of those past five years the original on top guys had been doing it a lot longer than all the other guys yeah all the other guys kind of come in together and it's taking you guys some time but i think you're i mean you're now to the point given giving them run for their money i mean yeah, there's a bunch of young guys. I guess you could call us young guys. I mean, I'm getting ready to turn 33 years old. Um, but the the ones at the top now are um, – there's older veteran guys that, that are still oh, yeah, but, super, super competitive. But um, I'd say that the past few years, the winners have been within my age, my age range. Yeah, and I mean, let, let's be honest, you've got – 
Connor no longer fishes them, but like Connor did fish them to start out with the catfishing duo. And I mean, they were hard to beat on themselves. You had, um, Oh, the guys from Mason County, Todd Anderson, Todd Anderson and Greg, they were hard to beat. I mean, right there, that's two hammers in the group that you were kind of hard to beat in themselves. Yeah. Um, starting out, they were very, they're still very good fishermen. The only difference is everyone else has put the time in the water now and kind of know, not as much as those guys know. Those guys probably sell some tricks up their sleeve that you guys don't have, but for the most part, you pretty much have the same advantages they have. Yeah. As far they, as like uh, getting bait, figuring everything out, water conditions, holes. I mean. The first chance that we had to win it was uh, six years ago, and that's exactly who we were chasing down was Todd. And it came down to literally – the last tournament, we needed a first place and a big fish, and he needed to finish third place to tie, which we would have won in a tiebreaker uh, because it went to largest single uh, weigh-in or fourth place, and we just beat him outright. And we went out and got first place in big fish, and he got second. So we actually ended up uh, – that in our first chance to take home the first place trophy ended up losing by a point and it came down to the wire and the other two times it was the same way we finished third once and um it came down to where there was three there was four guys that could win it that could win first place depending on how the chips fell in the last tournament and the way that it all shook out we ended up tied for third with someone but we won the tiebreaker to finish top three and the very next year, we went into the last tournament with a chance to win it and absolutely blanked. Never caught a fish the whole day. All we had to do was catch a fish, and we would have got first place. And we went out and blanked and ended up second place by one point. So this year, the last tournament was at the same place. So it was kind of like deja vu except for it would have been really tough for us to lose the first place spot. Um, but we went out and just fished with no pressure and picked up fish here and there throughout the day uh, to end up with first place and big fish to kind of seal the deal. Uh, yeah, there, there's definitely something to be said about just going out and having fun and not having the pressure. I think it, I think it definitely helps you not make those stupid mistakes that like, and those stupid mistakes being just moving around a bunch. Yeah. Um, not fishing consistently or not double checking a graph. Like you look at something, look at it again. If it's a new area, just double check it. Um, you fish fast, you fish, you fish bad. I mean, for the most part. Yeah. And I mean, all throughout the season, there's two tournaments I didn't even get to go to this year. And, Will couldn't make it to one of those tournaments, so Cody's dad filled in for us, and uh, they got a second place in a big fish of that tournament at, at Point Pleasant. And then there was another tournament that I wasn't able to go to, and Cody and Will got a second place. And um, But I think overall we had two first, three seconds, a third, and a seventh, I think was – uh, the tournaments that, that counted because there was nine with two throwaways. Just, they do that just because of P 
people going on vacation or whatever. Oh yeah, you yeah. it definitely makes it because at the end for, of the day, it's a club. It like it's a it's a working man's club tournament yeah. series. We're talking yeah. about that. I mean, we're not talking about some national trail that's a walleye tournament that someone may or may not put weights in a fish. I mean, <laughs> I got to bring it up. Those guys got arrested, by the way. Yeah, I assume that. that's. <laughs> oh, oh, that one's gonna be a rough one. You know, you, I'm not saying that people don't do that in bass fishing, um, but I feel like it would be really hard to do in a bass tournament as far as using that method to cheat. Yeah. But usually in bass fishing when they cheat. People, I feel like, could definitely get away with it in catfishing because they're hardy fish. But at the same time, too, like if I don't, I don't see it been as beneficial to well, someone here, here's my question try since, to do something like that since i took us completely off off topic onto this and we'll we'll go down this hole real quick um you being a guy who has taken law detector tests before for winning tournaments okay so they did not have a lot detector i mean they were going to have a lot detector test pinning they didn't pass that they i feel like their punishment would have been less absolutely then getting caught and i don't understand that did you watch the um the interview with the tournament director i've watched a bunch of interviews um like in the one video that's like the most popular one yeah where he talks someone's filming from afar yeah and they you can see the tournament director like over the course of that video like he's amped up and whenever they weigh in the seven eight or whatever that one was like he was amped up about it and he was amped up whenever the scale read 33 pounds like you know to the crowd because that's his job and that's one thing that he was talking about in his interview it was like that's what he's supposed to do yeah but at the same time he knew that something wasn't right yeah after seeing all the fish that came across the scales oh yeah and and that's my thing is with it like so they had failed a lot detector test in their past but they didn't get any consequences. And there's people that fell them and you can fell them for stupid things. Yeah. But I feel like somewhere in there, there's gotta be like a suspension rule or something involved. Like, Hey, you fell a lot of tractor test. You have like a six month suspension yeah. or something. I mean, like it just makes sense. Like you can, like we know people who's failed a lot of tractor tests and kicked out for stupid stuff. But there's also the point of like, what question did they fail on the last one? And what question, like, I mean, technically, if they never asked, did you alter your fish in any manner to make them weigh more? I mean, if they didn't ask that question, which I feel like that should be a question that's asked in every tournament. I don't know if it is there in lab detectors test. If not, someone needs to steal that one. But if they'd have asked that question and they'd have felt it, I feel like it should have been a very serious consequences to him also. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of hard questions that you get asked, like winning a tournament of any magnitude in West Virginia, because until just recent years, like last year, year before the cast net law was three foot diameter. So like if they ask if you broke any state fish and game laws during the tournament or whatever, well, say you, caught bait then yeah you broke state fishing game laws in the same way with like if you're on the ohio bank trying to catch skipjack and you use a sabiki rig technically you break state fishing game laws because you're only allowed three 
three hooks on whatever. So, I mean, there's questions that get asked that's kind of like, I don't really know how to answer this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's, like, that's to me, that's stupid rules. That's, I mean, yes, you broke laws. But I guess a lot of that, too, a lot of the dumb questions that they ask and stuff is to baseline. Yeah. I mean, I don't I wouldn't consider those dumb questions. Those are actual legit. Right. But, I mean, like, they just yeah, I mean, progressively get to the point, like, did you do anything during this tournament to benefit you that you shouldn't have done? I mean, I'm that's not how they ask it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, they build up to that point. Uh, that and that and that's where I feel like there should be a rule or something that pops out. That I mean, I've always wondered why they don't do more to those guys. Like, let's be honest, the biggest way to get in trouble involving cheating with fishing, the two biggest ways: basket fish and stuffing weights in your fish. If you don't do those two things, they're probably not going to do. They're they're not going to do that much to you. Yeah. I mean, even at the major the major levels, like guys have been caught doing other things, like trading and like not necessarily trading information, but getting information they're not supposed to have, and they just slap them on the wrist, like I oh, don't do that. But in theory, like, like they altered their position, which involved thousands of dollars. Like it should have been a more punishment. Um, it's just interesting. But let's let's um let's go back to talking about the tournament up there you guys were fishing out of ravenswood mm, definitely a, the high river definitely a little different type of river up there than the canal but definitely a very fun i, I like it i like fishing up there i hate it now <laughs> it used honestly it used to be my favorite place one of my favorite pools to fish and uh would have a tournament there and there'd be a handful of 40 plus pound fish brought back to the scales and we're just not seeing the quality of fish brought back to weigh-ins there the past two years is what we were used to seeing in previous years. Which there's a lot that goes into that that we could probably do a whole podcast on, but we'll, yeah, we'll um, stay away from that. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll leave that. That'd be a fun one to do. Um, be a fun one to do with like um, Will on here. I think that'd be a fun one with Will. Um, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't know, like, I've never catfished that, that, that pool very hard. I've catfished it once, I've bass fished it more than anything, and duck hunted it. But that's, to me, it's a, it's, to me, it's got, like, everything. It's got a lot of turns in it, it's got a lot of rock, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of holes, islands in it, something we don't have on the canal, really, to fish around. Um, And it's got a lot of backwaters, a lot of creeks, feeders. It's confusing to look at, too, because, like, on the canal, if you see, like, a flat bank, like, just sand, silty bank, then that contour kind of carries out into the river, and it would be, like, a shallow bank, and if it was uh, a steep bank that met the water's edge, then that was an area that, you know, current has created a hole, what we would call out from that steep bank but there it's like you could look at a flat bank and then out off from it it'd be 30 foot which isn't like what we're used to seeing on the canal so it is it is a lot harder from the aspect of fishing by just going off from your surroundings 
and using that to key in on points to look for things. So it's really a place that you actually have to graph and find out what's really underneath to to even consider coming up with a game plan of of where to go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what what kind of fishing did y'all try to do up there? Did y'all drift, troll? We we trolled and drug baits all day. Drug baits. So well, we was like, well, the rod limit is is twelve rods in the club tournaments. Larger scale, they're they change. We've talked about that on there on here before. So we drug six and suspended six. Okay, and so we we caught um, we caught five fish on the day and broke one off. And the break off and three fish came off from dragging rods, and then the other two were suspended. Okay. Both well, of those were blues. Why don't you break down a dragging setup? Can you break that down for me? Because, like, yeah. I don't I don't necessarily, like, if I was going to think of a dragging setup, I would think of, like, a Carolina rig for a bass. I think they actually call, like, the whole aspect of a swivel to a leader with a float of any, any sort of Santee Cooper rig. So it's kind of just, like, a modified rig like that, except for we run a three-way swivel. And there's dozens of different weights that you can buy that, I mean, none of them snag proof, but they all, they all have like kind of that marketing point that, you know, there's some that's called never snag, um, reel them up, reel them up dragon weights, which is who we use. Um, dirty South dragon weights. There's, bloodline dragon weights there's a bunch of different ones but the whole concept of the way that the weight is designed it's kind of like a pencil weight like the ones that we use is uh we had uh two and three ounce we were using both like not on the same setup but out of six we had a few different ones couple two ounce couple yeah and it's literally a, a lead pencil and that's where most of the weight is made up and then it's got a tube that is over top of it that doesn't come like all the way down to the bottom. It just, uh, it goes over the top section of the, the pencil. And that kind of gives it a little bit of a, a buoyancy. buoyancy and it's got an eyelet in the top of it. So this weight isn't dragging like flat on the bottom. Like it looks like if you were holding a limb that fell off a tree, just dangled to your side and walking with it that limb would kind of represent what the weight is doing on the bottom. So it's setting at an angle kind of in the upright position. Kind of like the old school crappie bobbers that are like, the uh, they're fat in the middle with the orange end, yellow end, how they kind of set. And, and, and it's kind of like a bobber that pulls yeah. itself all the way to yeah. the bottom. It's got And a, then you, how, however long of a leader you want, uh, we were using uh, peg floats, um, we were using a Kirby rig, um, which is just like a, f- a float rig with, it's got some rattles in it. And so off from your three way, I don't know, we usually run probably three to four foot leaders from swivel all the way to hook. 
And then somewhere in there you have a float, so that keeps your bait actually up off from uh, the bottom, and you just drag the weight across the bottom. And I think that it creates more of a reaction bite kind of than than anything because whenever we do it, we do it against the current. So it's like not a natural presentation whatsoever. And with the cold fronts and everything we've been having, all the fish that we caught were brown-bellied. They've just been laying up in it. And so, I mean, you got to think about that weight dragging, like, literally right by a fish. So, in a sense, it, like, spook, kind of would spook it, I would think, and create more of a reaction bite than, hey, here's a easy meal or, or whatever. Yeah. But so the hits are nasty. So, to me, you're looking for fish that are kind of, not that you're not going to get fish that are up moving and feeding, but you're going right. against current instead of, like, which we've floating. had very little of that this year, current. <laughs> yeah, instead of like floating into, instead of like floating into their face in a drift in a natural presentation. Yeah, yeah in a natural presentation, like um, like a trout setting setting up on some rocks. Right. You float that fly right over top of him. He just naturally comes up, and eats it. You're kind of more dragging it up past him kind of like a crank where you've thrown down past a rock, bringing it back past that rock, and right. he's setting up on the backside of it. Um, just kind of creates a quick reaction. Yeah, I, I like it. Um, now your suspended rods that you're running, are you just running um, Are you running kind of the same setup, just up off the bottom? Yeah, it's – well, we don't use floats. It's just a normal Carolina rig, and we'll, we'll use an inline uh, line rattle on some of them. Um, but we just to set those we drop them straight down the bottom and then uh leave the sinker setting on the bottom but reel your rod tip down to the water's edge while leaving the sinker on the bottom and then whenever you lift that up uh however far you clip in your planer board from your rod tip is how far off from the bottom your lead weight will actually be suspended so on the channel side, we usually go about two to three foot. And then on the bank side, because, you know, you got your ledges and and whatnot, so there's a little bit shallower water depending on how far you let your planer board out. We always do that same thing, but we set the planer boards from the rod tip to somewhere between the reel seat and rod butt. So it's set anywhere from five to eight feet off from the bottom because we're running it into that ledge. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not, I've not messed much with the planter boards, but I understand what you're saying there. It's, it's, it's very it's different and it's frustrating to learn. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I, w- just, I would agree. My dad has a set. I'm just and been, I think he I'm just been honest. Like we've got to the point the past two seasons that we're completely confident in if there's little current that we can drag, if there's a lot of current, like we're confident enough to know, like we don't have to anchor. Like we can hit those stretches where you think that the muscle beds are or whatever, where blues are going to be feeding or, or catfish in general is going to be feeding or like some rock structure where fish are going to be setting behind. And kind of like what you said with the fly trout fishing, it's the same exact presentation but for a different species. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
So if you were to break down your season, what is one piece of, we'll say, we'll start with like bait that you could have not done without this year? Like what was your 100% like if we got rid of every bait and you only got to keep one, what are you keeping? Depends on what time of the year. You got to go on a year, a whole year, a whole year basis. I'm just making these rules up as I go. You get one. Well, bait. those rules suck, so I'm not playing. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, um, all right. If if we'll talk about trout fishing again, <laughs> if you're a fly fisherman, what do you do? You match, you match the, the hatch. hatch. Okay, so yeah, everyone's gonna say I fish for trash fish, but it's literally no different. Like yeah. in the springtime and the fall time, like right now, we're in a transition period. So there's still moon eye around. There's still skipjack around, but the shad bite is starting to come back. Um, I'll, I'm not saying that during the summer months you can't catch fish on shad, but it's not, I don't even worry about getting it. It's, it's not worth the time and effort for me to go out and find shad, find shad that's big enough and take out whenever I can go to the locks and catch skipjack, I can go to the locks and catch moon eye, or I can go out on my boat and catch moon eye from the pop. Um, so literally it's a it's a it's a seasonal thing. Kind of so, kind of sounds like okay, I worded the question wrong. If but it was one, my if favorite it was one, overall that that works the longest would be Muna. Yeah, I kind of I kind of worded the question wrong and you kind of answered it how I thought I, how I should have worded it. What well, was one bait you would have thrown away and not worried about? And I think it's Shad. Right. Yeah. Once it got to a certain point cuz I mean, I mean we started in March yeah the beginning of march we weren't catching skipjack we weren't catching moon eye there was some moon eye that you could catch but it wasn't worth the time and effort whenever you go to backwater in the springtime and catch shad and have bait for a tournament and be done in an hour so like you just got to spend your time and resources wisely when it comes to getting bait for catfish just like matching the hatch knowing what bait is prevalent in the water that you're fishing? What do you think that there's more of? And what do you think is going to work best? And that's what you put your time and effort into. Yeah. I, but we always take all three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Because I'm not the type of person that likes to come back to the boat ramp after a crappy day and someone be like, well, yeah, I, ca- I caught my limit on Shad. Like we didn't get any, so that's why bass. We literally always, for the most part, always. There was one year that the medium sized skipjack were running really good. Like you could see them all over the river, not just at the locks and dam. And that's literally the only thing that we took, and we whacked fish. But for the most part, we take all of them and an occasional carp. Oh, take all those you want. You need to take some gar while you're at it. I actually tried that one time because <laughs> they, in one tournament we had a we caught a blue that had a gar hanging out of the back of its throat, and then that same tournament another boat had a regurgitated gar skull in their live well. So the very next tournament, I made sure that I had a gar, and it was the worst thing in the world to try to cut. Oh, they're so tough. I think I I think I used it only that tournament ever. <laughs> Same thing with carp. They're so tough. Um, no, carp carp's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but one thing I will say is that's like 
Cody loves keeping carp, but he's always him. Him and if Will's on the boat, then Will pretty much cuts bait. Um, but for the most part, if Will's not there, Cody always cuts bait generally. And dude, I had I could have filled up a five gallon bucket with quarter size scales from carp on the side <laughs> of the boat that the cutting board is on. I was like, dude, we got to do something about this. So the last time we took a carp, I got a fillet board out in my backyard and process that thing out in the fillets and the chunks and yeah, they put are, it in a gallon freezer baggie and it was they, so much cleaner on the boat. Yeah. So for now on, that's probably if I have, if I have time, that's going to be my option. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty messy. They're pretty messy with their scales and stuff. I just know from bow fishing, they're like, super oily though. And, um, certain times of the year you can't, you can't beat it. That's kind of, and that's that's weird because like, I don't know. I guess it makes sense. In a matter of fact, that that I mean, like when we used to bow fish all the time. I mean, we were saying what four or five hundred. I mean, yeah. I mean, insane numbers of carp and gar at night, and catfish will literally eat anything. Yeah, like the amount of stuff I could sit here, I could probably talk to you a whole podcast on just random things. Pawpaws that have been thrown up in live wells. I've had pop. I've had, we had pawpaws thrown up in one of ours in Ravenswood, actually. Uh, yeah, I remember else, that. Someone else had pawpaws thrown up in their live well. Um, yeah, I mean that's that that's there. There's a lot of different ways to go with bait, but okay, let's look at what is one piece of tackle you would you'd have been fine with not having this year. We'll we'll say tackle, and then we're going to go to one one thing with the boat. Um, one item on the boat. Um, it's going to be tough. I mean, I, there's nothing. There's nothing. You, there's nothing. I mean, there's it's nothing. Not you don't like, think you could. It's not like bass fishing. I don't. I don't have nine tackle boxes filled with t- tons of different types of bait. Like, well, you got to think what we're dealing with with tackle sinker slide. If you're not using a three-way, a rubber bead. Yeah, I mean you have glass a glass if if we're not using mono. You you have a, a very swivel. basic. You have a very basic thing. I just didn't know if leader there's line. Any, what okay? Is there any hooks that you were like, ah, oh, we didn't even use that style of hooks really? Um, I mean, I don't yeah, even, but I don't have them in my tackle box because we don't use them. We run all circle hooks. Yeah, so they're not in the boat. So okay. I'm just yeah, trying this, to create... This is a hard question for a catfishing boat. I'm trying to create contradictory here. It worked with bait. Could get you an answer to that question. Okay. I mean, what am I supposed to say? Uh, swivels. No, not swivels. <laughs> just tie freaking blood knot from my braid to my fluoro leader. Dude, just tie you a uni knot, man. Wrap, wrap, twist, twist, something, another. I can do it about one every four times. I will say, though, there is stuff in our tackle box that we don't actually need <laughs> or that we have a lot of. And Cody cracks me up because, like, every now and then he'll he'll ask me if he can take the boat out, like take his son out or his dad out or his girlfriend or whoever. And I'm, I'm I, it don't bother me that he does it. But whenever I get the boat back... I can tell you every single rod that was broken off and re-rigged because he will put <laughs> beads 
in the most <laughs> random places and most unnecessary places. Sounds like you don't need beads in your bed. That I've ever seen. <laughs> well, actually. Or you just need. I mean, right now, the way that we're fishing, no, we don't need beads. Because. See, there was something. Um, we've started just going to all three ways. Because, like, if 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 I have a normal barrel swivel with a sinker slide, um, which goes on your main line and it slides freely and you clip your weight into it. Yeah. If I were to have a rig like that and I was throwing a three-ounce dragging weight with it, but I'm dragging half of a skipjack, so my bait is pushing like 12, 13 ounces, that's going to go further than my weight. So whenever that happens, that weight might get twisted around the braid or get caught up to where it doesn't actually ever end up back down at the swivel. So you can go a long ways with a screwed up rig and have no recollection that it's even happening. So we, we use three ways so that we can, it is clipped into a specific point and it can't slide freely. So whenever you cast it, you know, whenever that weight's on the bottom, you know exactly how far your bait is back from, from your setup. And if we want to anchor, all we do is take the sinker clip, unhook the dragon weight, and and clip on a, a bank seeker. And so you can transition from one style to another just at the time that it takes to switch over weights. Yeah, those those weights. I remember those weights. So we've pretty popular. well went to all like all of our rods. Pretty well have three way rigs on them. Okay, so a simple barrel swivel something you could probably do without. Look at that. I'm helping clean up your boat that's already a minimal, already pretty minimal. I'm a minimal, a minimalist. A minimalist. Minimalist? Yes, that's what I'm becoming. Yep. Just hum it out hum and it out. put ist at the end. You got it. <laughs> um, okay, last question. Any boat items? I already know what I think you should say for the most part. Like boat, like not safety stuff because... Your boat never broke down, so you didn't need any your safety stuff. But, like, let's say, um, I don't know, something that's taking up room that you don't need in there. This year would have been anchor. Yep, that's what I was thinking. Anchor. <laughs> I was thinking no, anchor. I, no, I mean, one of the tournaments we won, uh, we started off drifting, and I, th- I think we talked about this on the podcast before, the Buffalo tournament that we won. Um. We started off drifting, caught a 30, and then we drifted probably like four hours of the tournament and caught three fish and then anchored up and and picked up a 50-pound flathead and then called out like a four-pound flathead with a 25-pound flathead. Now, question. Did you drift the area you caught the 50-pound flathead? Nope. About 20 miles apart. Could you? Have you ever? Mm. Questions I have. No. No. To as far as drifting, like suspended, yes, you could, but it'd be annoying. But dragging would be good. So, see, you don't. That miss- was actually our plan to drag there. We had never done it before. It was, was kind say, of a stretch where we anchor. It's a pallet brush, and there's some rock mixed in with it, but a pallet brush. I'm talking like big tree after big tree after big tree. And. 
one of the few deepest sections of that part of the river. And because of the brush, it would be hard to suspend baits through. But using the dragon weight, you could get by with it. You'd get snagged, but the thing about the dragon weights, whenever you snag, unless that hook gets caught in something, which it usually doesn't get a chance to, um, I mean, drag can be coming out of the reel. But if I can get that thing out of the rod holder and free spool it to just put some slack in and then whip the rod tip up, it'll bounce that, that weight right out of whatever it's caught on 90% of the time. It's interesting. Sometimes it gets buried <laughs> and you got to break freaking 80 pound braid. Oh gosh. That's yeah. it's not fun. Yeah. Well, this has been a fun one. Just talking about you all just kind of wrapping up, finally ending the series of that. And now it's on to what's next. What's next for you? Well, other than working every single day. We actually have the, the club, wouldn't say championship tournament. We call it the fish off um, because points, like there's no points thing. But any. I would call it the big money tournament. It's exactly what it is. Any boat. It's a jackpot. Any person that fishes any of the regular events has to pay a membership fee. All of those membership fees go into the pot for the fish off tournament. Uh, half of the split the pot throughout the season goes into that pot as well. And we don't have to pay entry fee to fish in that tournament. So it's kind of like giving back to the anglers that have put time into the club to give them a chance to win the biggest purse of the year on that's made up of all the memberships that have been paid. And you have to fish in 50% of the scheduled events to qualify for it. Um, and I think I've seen on Facebook the pot's over $3,000. So I'm looking for first place to probably be twelve to 1300 big fish. I don't know what they'll do with big fish. In the past, it's it's been, I think when we ran it, we which we done two-day tournaments. This is just one 10-hour tournament this year. Uh, we done $150 both days for big fish. And then we done a, I think, $20 side pot that went to biggest fish of the tournament. So there'll be some sort, someone will show up on Saturday and be like, Hey, let's throw into a side pot for whatever. So there is opportunity to make, to put money in. But as far as entry fee, if you don't want to throw in side pot for big fish or side pot for whatever, then it's a free entry. You should do if you've qualified, you should do a small, smallest fish weight in. That, that goes in with nobody. <laughs> nobody's going to throw in a side bottle of that because everyone wants to catch the big fish. But, but whenever I've done the you fundraiser throw, okay. tournament for the Ever, basketball team, wait a minute, wait a minute, we wait a had a small fish prize and it was the entry fee back, which was a hundred bucks. Yeah. Well, look at it this way. Okay. So $5. Everybody throws in $5. You're out there having a horrible day and all of a sudden you just go, well, I'm already having a horrible day. Why don't I just try to catch the smallest channel cat I can catch to try to win this? Some of them do, uh, which I mean, they're bigger tournaments, but some of them do skunk awards. So, like, whoever doesn't catch a fish, their name will go into a hat and they'll draw it out and you get your your interview back. Actually, like a bow fishing tournament one time, I won 
my entry fee back because we were second to last because a group got skunked and they told them, Hey, if you're last place, don't, don't leave, hang around. And those guys like got mad because I think they shot a couple fish, but they left. And next thing I know, like, they're like, well, where'd those one guys go? I was like, ah, oh, we think they left. And they're like, Oh, well you guys won. You guys won the, your entry fees back because you guys got last place. I was like, awesome. So get real for them though. Cause there's literally <laughs> no worse feeling in fishing than taking your boat out of the water. And the first person asks you <laughs> how many fish you have in your life. Well, and you say zero. It is like the worst feeling ever. Oh yeah. I, I've done but I mean, it, so it happens. It I've happened done, to me this year. I've done it so many times. I'm used to it now. I get, I get surprised when there's more than one in there. I mean, at the end of the day, you do everything you can to catch a fish, but there comes a point where the fish has to do their part too and do what you think that they should be doing. Sometimes it don't happen. Yeah. Um, What's next? Y'all got any cup tournaments or anything like that? Well, we got that one this weekend. Uh, I already paid to fish in the, the G3 um, tournament out of Portsmouth, Ohio. It was the one that we won in Galpolis. Big, I mean, it's a it's a nice paycheck. Um, uh, when's that one? It is weekend after this, October twenty eighth. Yeah, and uh, we got started on this side job late, so I'm going to have to work. But the only reason that I'm missing it is because we are qualified and headed to Decatur, Alabama to fish the Cabela's uh, championship. So it's kind of like pick or choose. Like, do I want to go to Portsmouth and fish and miss that Saturday of work? Or do I want to go ahead and go work that Saturday and then head to Alabama to fish that one? And I'm picking Alabama over anything. So is anyone is anyone going to Portsmouth? Yeah, Cody and Michael still going. Cody and Michael still going. So yeah, at least we found a good stretch there last year. I mean, I lost uh, probably ten pound flathead at the boat, and it would have we would have got first place. But we ended up second place in big fish. We got like eighteen or nineteen hundred dollars. I that. can't beat that. It's a good day. Yeah. But um, we should have got first in big fish. Like I said, that's a place where it's a numbers game. You literally catch as many fish as you can, and they all look exactly the same. So, like, whenever you're calling out, you're calling out, like, ounces. Uh, it's a highly populated blue area, but they're all, like, cookie cutter. But, I mean, the f- second time I fished there in a tournament, it was a 16-hour tournament, two eight-hour tournaments on the same day. We boated 53 fish. And our biggest one was 19 pounds. And that actually won big fish of the second half of the tournament hmm. because of commercial harvest of yeah. the fish and, you know, yeah. where that ends up, ends up in pay lakes dying. But like I said, that's a whole nother podcast in itself. But, uh, so we went down there to that tournament last year with the mindset, like that we're going to have no problem catching a limit of fish. It's just going to be, do we have some, like, you know, nice, like, 13 to 16-pound fish to fill a five-fish limit? And then the first fish that we caught was 39 pounds. And then we went, like, I think four fish in the 20s, and you were only allowed two overs. So we're, like, throwing back fish. And then I lost. We caught an under finally. Uh, 
we only weighed in uh four four fish we only caught two unders i think we threw back three which was unreal for us to even comprehend while we was there because we had never seen fish like that uh brought back to any tournaments we had fished there but we know that there are big fish every year you see of one in the 60s or 70s caught down there but it's very rare yeah so i think they're going to go back and hit that stretch of river and they should have the fish should be there um it's just a matter of if they eat or not but i think i I like their chances to win some money yeah yeah i I think um, they're actually leaving from that heading to Alabama. <laughs> so they're driving straight to Alabama. I think they're coming home and showering and stuff first and then driving through the night on on uh, the next day, actually. So Sunday night. Yeah. And then I can't miss. I can't. I mean, I'm a school teacher, so I can't just take a week off from work. But I am burning three personal days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I'm flying out of Charleston Tuesday evening after work. And they're picking me up in Huntsville at like 9 nine o'clock and we're going to spend as much time on the water as we can to, to try to figure something out. We really want to fish the river section. And I really think that's our best bet because that is the least pressured area. The lake is fished a lot. I mean, whenever people travel in there, that's where they want to go is drag ledges and stuff out on the lake, which produces, but I think we can, we can catch some some good fish up in the river. Yeah. So um, maybe when you all get back from there, we can get you and Cody in here and sit down and keep Cody from saying a cuss word every five minutes. And <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about that trip. Hey, I'm just hoping we go down there and, and he catches his personal best down there. Because this will make... Third. This will make his third trip. Uh, this will make mine and Michael's... Well, my fourth trip, Michael's actually been there two more times, so I think this will be his sixth trip. And Michael's personal best down there is a 91. Oh, gosh. And he caught it like five minutes after he caught a 90. Back to – or 89 or something like that. But back-to-back, same spot. So, Cody's biggest fish down there is 38, I think. <laughs> and my biggest fish down there was literally – it's so sad. 22 pounds. <laughs> okay. My first trip. Y'all's fish don't even weigh as much as Michael's. My, my first fit, my first trip, 22 pounds was the biggest one I caught. My second trip in the same exact spot. My biggest fish for the trip was 22 pounds. <laughs> caught it on the same waypoint. And then my third trip, I finally, uh, finally, oh. Finally caught a good one. Yeah. Caught a 77. And then that evening, Michael caught a 63. And then the next morning, I caught a 74. Well, you can't beat those numbers. That's what makes you want to go there over over anywhere. Yeah. um, And that's probably just because I've never been to the James. That's another big fish river. But I've never been there, so I've never experienced it. Just seen pictures and things. Since I've actually, like, witnessed and experienced that at Alabama, that ranks that place above anywhere for me right well, now, right now i mean i've been like in when i've been in alabama i've seen these lakes you're going to oh i totally they look freaking amazing the fish like on all it's I so cool just because it's them. so different like you don't have lakes around here that you get to and catfish no so like the whole experience 
And I mean, that's really why I've wanted to go to a Cabela's championship. And I mean, we've qualified a few different times for it and I've wanted to go so bad just for the experience. Like, dude, we're going to be fishing against like really, really good dudes that like a lot of them, that's their home water. Yeah. But just the experience of it all. Cause like the Cabela's trail puts on great events again there was a few year stretch there where it was real, I don't know, in my opinion, not up to the standards that it should have been. But just like the experience of it, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Get in there, have fun, catch fish, and enjoy the experience and see see where the chips fall. Because at the end of the day, anybody stands a chance to win a fishing tournament. Yeah, there there's definitely definitely something to be said about fishing in a championship of that magnitude in itself i mean there's a there's a lot of guys that'll never never go fish that and i think that's something that experiences are something that are not to jump off and start another topic completely as we wrap this up but experiences are something that i experiences are something that i think i haven't taken advantage of as much in my life that i've tried to later on in my life and it's something that I don't know. It's a little harder once you start having kids, which you understand that Um, with this year, like it's a little harder with some of the opportunities I've been offered, not necessarily getting to do them, but it's definitely opening up doors for in the future. I'm going to make sure I make arrangements and make sure I've got my family taken care of and be able to take advantage of different experiences. Like you, I mean, you only get so long to try to do this stuff. You yeah. might as well try to do it while you can. Yeah. I'm freaking pumped for it. Less yeah. than two weeks, dude. <laughs> well, when we get you back on here, hopefully we're going to have Cody, and hopefully we're talking about Cody's personal best and maybe maybe a championship. Heck, it's a two-day tournament. I'd like for us to catch Michael's personal best on day one and my personal <laughs> best on day two. That would be freaking sick. Yeah. But – before we go, if you want to see pictures of that 77, 74, and 63, you can head over to Team Real Fat Cats on Facebook. Look us up. We've been sleeping on there and haven't posted much. Uh, go check that out. Uh, I'll say I'm going to have I'll, – I'll have you hook me up with some photos and stuff to post with the um, announcement for this podcast. But we'll catch you guys later. Thanks for listening to another episode of Fins and Feathers Podcast presented by Winter Productions and your host, Nathan Winterstock.